6-7W. Classified top secret. Subject is Airwolf. A Mach 1 plus attack helicopter with the most advanced weapon system in the air today. It has been hidden somewhere in the western United States by its test pilot, Stringfellow Hawk. Hawk has promised to return Airwolf only if we can find his brother, Sinjin, an MIA in Vietnam. We suspect that Archangel, deputy director of the agency that built Airwolf, is secretly helping Hawk in return for Hawk's flying Airwolf on missions of national concern. Stringfellow Hawk is 34, a brilliant combat pilot and a recluse since his brother's disappearance. His only friend is Dominic Santini, whose air service is the cover for their government work. With Hawk and Santini flying as a team at speeds rivaling the fastest jets, backed by unmatched firepower, Airwolf is too dangerous to be left in unenlightened hands. Finding it is your first priority. Alright, so this is a kind of a show that we love when we were kids. I, I still enjoy it now. Shows that kind of focused around a vehicle. I mean, if it was just that, the show would kind of stink, but they always had cool characters mixed in with it. For the most part. There's a couple stinkers we're probably going to discuss. So you'll probably notice that the intro to Airwolf was a bit long there, so I, I apologize, but I really wanted that intro beyond the music where he describes what is going on in the show in case you've never heard of it or never seen it, which makes you question why you're listening to this, but whatever. <laughs> All right, Ron, did you watch Airwolf when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Religiously. Now, I kind of missed it when it initially ran. I didn't really catch much outside of reruns on USA. And then um, I think I only watched about a handful of them. And then later, I would grab the whole series. I've seen every episode, even all the way through the much maligned fourth season where everybody's killed off from the original series. And they just... Right. right. Yeah. But we'll start at the beginning. Um, what, do you, what are your memories of the show? Uh... Well, my memory is kind of vague, but all I remember is that helicopter mainly had the best theme song, I think, than of any show that I've heard. And it's very repetitive, which blows my mind away that I like it so much. But <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's hard driving. A lot of the, the shows around that time had these theme songs that were, like, awesome. They're, almost like, they're almost like rock yeah. and roll, even though they're orchestra. Yes. Well, synthesizer. Well, you know what I mean. Well, no, no. Some shows, some shows didn't use a synthesizer; they used a full orchestra. In fact, if I remember really? correctly, the first season of Airwolf they used an orchestra, and then it was the second season where they focused primarily on synthesizer. But you're right; the main theme has been always been keyboard. I love it. Um, so, it wouldn't be the '80s without it. So. No, no. That it, it personifies. If they remade um, the show today, which they might, since Equalizer was such a big hit, I think they're going to start going after some of these grown-up shows from the '80s. Um, I think they're going to have to redo that in full orchestra. That, I don't know, maybe um, maybe some uh, a dubstep version of it. <laughs> awesome. Everything's good in dubstep, right? <laughs> well, it's at least I'm using at least once. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, so uh, for me, Airwolf, uh, it's one of those 80s shows that still stands the test of time for the most part. The One of the things that I think was frustrating with the show is... The fact that the first season is very sophisticated, very focused on grown-up stories. Nothing was really black and white like the way it was with A-Team or Knight Rider, which were focused on um, like a family shows. This right. show was made for grown-ups. And, you know, they changed it in the second season because the ratings weren't as good as they wanted them to be because the show is very expensive. But, uh, you know, then they started adding the girl, which I have no problem with, but they started lightening the stories. And by the time they got to season three, it was a kid's show almost. So right. I, I can see why they cancel it. Plus, you know, Jan Michael Vincent had some serious alcohol problems. Even to this day, yeah. he it did some serious damage. But at that time, man, that first season, he was spot on. Definitely, definitely. Now, have you seen him lately, Jan Michael Vincent? Uh, I'm just looking him up now, actually, but I have not seen him lately. 
Yeah, he uh, got in a horrible car accident in 94. And I actually Ooh. saw a movie where uh, he had just come out of the hospital, but he was required by his contract to show up. His face is just absolutely beat up. Right. Yeah, and, um, and then he got a second car accident after that, and I guess he was just completely messed up. Uh, the alcohol took over, and he just lost his legs recently due to... Uh, diabetes? Associated with all his drinking, yeah. Maybe diabetes, I can't remember now. But you wow. know, I watch this now, and I look at it, and he was absolutely in his prime. I mean, he had made some good movies before. Have you ever seen White Line Fever or The Mechanic? I've seen The Mechanic. Yeah, I mean, right then, he was a hot star. He's in that Disney movie, too. Uh, the World's Greatest Athlete, I think? Maybe? Yeah, and he was, like, in a bunch of movies. Most of them were unsuccessful, but he was, like, one of those actors that had appeal. So I think, uh, you know, when, they, when it came time for him to go to TV, this was the right project. Because he had kind of, like... You know, the whole thing about Stringfellow Hawk is the fact that he is kind of disconnected because, A, the way he's lived, you know, the military life, and mm -hmm. the simple fact that his brother is gone. Right. So I think he was the right casting for that. And, of course, they balance that out with Ernest Borgnine. The who, best. You know, one of the best. Yeah, I mean, he was a really <laughs> great character actor. He brought a lot of humanity and humor to the show because... Um, you know, it being such a sophisticated, dark show, they needed some sort of light thing, or I don't think people would have connected to the show. Right, and they didn't go off the far other deep end with him either. That's... No, because he could have been hokey. You know, a lot of those shows back then, the sidekicks right. were basically morons, but he was he was probably more gifted at airplanes than uh, Stringfellow was. It's just he was a great pilot, but man, anybody who right. knew the guts of a plane, it was his character. Well, it was like a, he seemed like a mentor. You know, like, he knew his stuff, he's had his day, now it's Stringfell's time. But, right. Yeah, right. So, did you, re, um, before the show, did you watch any of the episodes, or did you watch the original movie? Uh, I watched the movie, the, the original uh, pilot, okay. and I see, when I first got Netflix a few weeks, uh, months ago, I watched a few of the episodes in, but I can't recall them. <laughs> yeah, the nice part is, Airwolf at the time was not that popular. I think, at best, oh. it scored around place 30 out of 75. Wow. But the people who liked it were really loyal to it, so they had a consistent audience. Right. But I've I've been reading lately that the, you know, a lot of the shows from the '80s are are dated and they're starting to age pretty badly, or they're just forgotten. But Airwolf is building an audience. So it, really, right, right now, yeah, the the next generation now is discovering the show and it's carrying on. So if there were to be a remake TV show or movie, I think it'd be successful. With only twenty four episodes. <laughs> no, 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 no. The show was on for four years. Four years. Yeah, first season was thirteen episodes. It was a mid-season replacement, and then the second and third season are full twenty-four episodes. And then, um, oh, then it sorry. went. Yeah, then it went over to USA for one season, and that was also twenty-four episodes. I think in total there's about seventy episodes. I could be a little bit off on that one. My Do your homework, stinks. wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it on IMDb now. I missed the other listing there. Okay. Yeah, so you can find the whole series on Hulu. You can find it on Netflix. In fact, I think there's a handful of episodes up on YouTube if you don't have one of those membership services. But to get the complete series on Netflix for like $7.99 a month is amazing because there was a time, I don't know if you remember this, 15 years ago or so, I was buying uh, the cassettes from Columbia House, where it was two episodes per cassette, and it was $20 a month. Ugh. I only made it about six episodes in before I realized I'm going broke. 
Times are a changing. Yeah, well, I mean, media now is so much easier to get. Back then, it was just yes. like, well, we can only fit two episodes per tape, so let's just charge it like a movie. I was like, no. <laughs> but I just rewatched. Moving the, on. Yeah, I just rewatched the movie again, and you can kind of see that uh, the budget is still kind of tight for a movie. And there's a couple sequences where you're like, whoa, did they just use like the worst stock footage of all time? Yeah. Was it the Navy? There was a section in there where they were taking on the, uh, uh, was a cruiser or something right. like that, a battleship or something like that. And it was stock footage of the Navy guys jumping in there. It was so out of place. Oh, yeah, because it was all washed was... out and grainy. You could literally see yeah. the lines. You know, why did they just <laughs> pony up? And, I mean, they didn't have a movie. Universal Studios has a huge catalog. They didn't have a movie made within the last 10 years that had some sort of footage that had been useful. Right. Uh, that was, well, that was... it was just, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's all right, go ahead. I would say it was just a short section anyway. They could have easily put that on a set. Yeah, it was just been... bizarre that they even did it that way, which makes it look cheap. That's the one thing that takes me out of it is those couple sequences. Right. But overall, I mean, I won't hold that against them. But No, no. But the funny thing is um, there was an Airwolf game for the Nintendo. Did you ever play that? I did a couple times. That I never was... had a Nintendo on my own, though. So Yeah, that was one seriously hard game. I didn't play it when I was on cartridge. I played it when it was in like an emulator. And I was right. like, what were they thinking? This is insane. It made Top Gun look like child's play, and that game was hard. Yes, it was. <laughs> but yeah, um, the Airwolf, the the theme, the look, that, but that helicopter, that was everything. Just seeing that was bad. Beast. And I believe it's completely a model, right? Like, they added parts no. to a real helicopter? No, it's a real thing? Yeah, it's, well, I, I, yeah, it's their own creation, but it, I think it's, I think Bell, I can't remember the name of that. It was a Bell something or other. That made uh, an actual existing model, and they just added to it. But okay, that's what I, mean. I, don't black. Know, I don't know why I said model. That that's moronic. But the funny thing is, every time I look at the helicopter, I always see a shark. So I was always thought it was weird that they called yes. it Airwolf when it looks like, you know, a great white coming at you. Here we go. It's a Bell 222. That's what they call it. Unofficially called the 222A. If that means anything to any of you, uh, what do you want? A budding aviators out there? <laughs> Do you think the helicopter still exists? That's, I mean, I think there was only ever one of them. Do you think it's somewhere it's still in storage, or do you think it's destroyed? Uh, I hope it's not destroyed, but I've not seen anything on it. Yeah, you know, that funny thing is that first movie, I don't really feel like it should have been two hours. There is plenty of story, but it's pretty slow, so I'm kind of surprised it made it, you know, you know, beyond the pilot movie, because... It kind of drags. Once it kicks into the series, though, they have all these great guest stars, and it moves like lightning. And right. I think I think as a series, it's better. So if you watch the pilot movie, you kind of need to see it just to set up the, the concept and the scenarios. But if you're bored, seriously, the ep- the second episode when David Carradine shows up, oh, it's, it gets great. So the one thing that bothers me, though, is, of course, uh, season four. It's the one that's kind of been maligned because what happened... CBS canceled it because there's too many difficulties. They had already lost $12 million on the show Whoa. because, well, most TV shows are made like this. The network will agree to air the show, but they'll only put up a certain amount of cost. The rest of the cost is up to you, either by selling it to other countries in syndication or, you know, in some way, like now they sell it on DVD and Hulu and Vudu. That's how they make up the cost. But back then, you only had one option, syndication, basically. And so Universal is losing like $100,000 out of uh, – each episode costs $1.2 million, and they're losing and losing and losing every episode. But they didn't have enough 
they didn't have enough to get to syndication. The general rule was you needed enough to blanket five days worth, you know, Monday through Friday during the afternoons, like when kids got off school, and, and have that for like four months. Well, they didn't have enough episodes, so Universal decided to take it to USA, which was a brand new network at that time. Right. And they said, well, we can't afford the helicopter anymore. We can't afford the cast anymore. What are we going to do? Well, let's bring Sinjin, because, you know, the whole series is about Stringfellow trying to find his brother Sinjin. Right. By the way, Stringfellow and Sinjin, where do those names come from? <laughs> those are the craziest names I've ever heard. Have, like, you, have you ever met anybody with the name Stringfellow or Sinjin? Just, they, were given, they were giving call names from birth, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. That was, that, that's pretty wild. Um, so Sinjin, they bring him in, and they kill off Jan Michael Vincent. They kill off Ernest Borgnine. I don't know why they didn't just have Ernest Borgnine's character retire and then maybe show up every once in a while. That would have been nice. Yeah, so they have his daughter come in. She owns the whole plane thing. They're still doing the same missions, but now they have no helicopter helicopter so they have to reuse all the footage from the previous three episodes and in fact if you look at the cockpit of the airwolf in season four completely different it's it's like the most generic pilot cockpit you can possibly find well it's an upgrade <laughs> yeah it, it looks bad it doesn't have that in-depth technology look i mean there was something very cool about seeing the inside of that when ernest borgnine right. and jan michael vincent were flying that thing so that, that, that for the most part, and plus the movie is just, it's shot in Canada, so it reeks of back bacon. <laughs> you can see it's foggy, and it's all, oh, it's so Canadian. Everybody's like, good day. <laughs> I kid, I kid the Canadians. Please don't be upset with me. I don't want you to put another higher cost on the maple syrup, for God's sakes. This stuff's so expensive. <laughs> oh. So I ran oh, around. Oh, looks like. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, after the show was canceled, modifications were removed from the helicopter, repainted, and used as an emergency, an air ambulance, and it crashed oh, in 1992. A new full-size replica was created for the short-lived, or in the short-lived helicopter headquarters museum in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Don't know what happened to it after that. So, yeah. So all that's left is a replica. That sucks. Now, this show was created by Donald Belisario. He had done yes. a couple TV shows before. He's mostly known for launching Magnum P.I. Mm-hmm. And then here's the weird thing about Airwolf. Okay, so there's an episode of Magnum P.I. that inspired the TV show Tales of the Golden Monkey. Do you remember this show at all? No. It was like Indiana Jones with Stephen Collins from 7th Heaven. Yes. So he would go, it was like in the Hawaiian Islands or something like that. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. But he's in the islands of like Fiji or whatever. And he's going all these adventures and he's fighting the Nazis. So that was inspired by Magnum P.I. But then somehow Tales of the Golden Monkey inspired Airwolf. And the whole concept was reworked and eventually became what we're, you know, what we watched recently. That's weird, huh? (laughs) And the cool part is, for the most part, Donald Belisario was always going from show to show to show. He never really had any, like, massive failures. So after Airwolf got canceled, he went on to do Quantum Leap. Yes. And of course, one of the that's, best. That's one Ever. of our favorites. We should do a time travel show. Does that yes. count as a high-speed vehicle? <laughs> <laughs> sure. We'll, we'll make a special. We'll, we'll do, like, Voyagers and Quantum Leap and maybe Sliders or something. Um, was it considered high speed if it took him forever to get back home? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's... Uh, and then, of course, after Quantum Leap ended, he did Jag, which was on forever and ever, yes. which is which um, spun off C- um, NCIS. I'll tell you what, there's nothing he's done that I've seen that I don't like. Yeah, and so you know NCIS has a spinoff 
So now there's NCIS New Orleans with Scott Bakula. Yes. Donald Belisario takes care of his people. That's right. <laughs> I have not seen an episode of that yet, but I've been meaning to. It's no, dog-eared. Uh, go on Voodoo. I think they have the first episode for free you can watch. You know what's funny? Is every episode we do together, we always talk about Netflix and Voodoo and Hulu. They should just pay us. Just go ahead and pay <laughs> us <right>. now. <laughs> All right. So I think I'm pretty much wrapped up about Airwolf. Do you have anything else you want to say? No. Just, if you haven't seen it, do it. Yeah, seriously. It's one of the very probably about a handful of the dramas from the 80s that really hold up yes though i would still ignore that fourth season unless you just are a, a diehard fan <laughs> tell you what though if you're not a night owl don't watch it at night it is it is a drama <laughs> even though it's got a lot of action in it i end up falling asleep now and again so <laughs> make sure you're awake all right so our next show is going to be blue thunder i'm going to go ahead and play the intro for you So that's Blue Thunder, uh, based on the movie from 1982. And you just watched the movie, right, Ron? Okay, so you just watched the Blue Thunder movie, correct? Uh, actually, I did watch the series. Looking at my stuff here, I actually did see the series. Okay, so um, I had it now we've both seen the movie. I think we watched the movie for the first time when we we're like what 15 or something like that. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's based on your recommendation. Had you seen it as a kid? Uh, probably. Yeah, I, I think remember, so. I started becoming a big fan of Roy Scheider, and we're at the video store one day, and you picked this up. You're like, this is pretty cool. And I was like, all right, let's yes. watch that. And um, I was truly fascinated by it. This is when John Batten was at his peak. He had just come off of War Games and had done Saturday Night Fever before that, and then he did Blue Thunder. And that's when he started moving to the action genre. After that, he'd do Stakeout, Nick of Time, stuff like that, Bird on a Wire. And all his movies, nice. uh, you know, uh, more comedy oriented. But Stakeout is a pretty serious, or not sorry, Stakeout, sorry, Blue Thunder is a pretty serious action movie. And it was like full on, like, focused on the technology. And it was a pretty decent hit. So I'm kind of surprised they didn't go to sequel, that they went to its series. I'm kind of glad they did. It gave me something to watch over and over. Yeah. Um, I mean, Helicopter wasn't as cool as Airwolf, but no. I loved it. Well, uh, they've said that Blue Thunder inspired Airwolf, which is kind of funny considering the shows premiered within a couple weeks of each other. Obviously, Airwolf being much more successful. Blue Thunder yeah. only lasted 13 episodes. 
There's a reason. <laughs> well, it's I, uh, a little more cheesy. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing I don't understand about the TV show. Is it a reboot? I mean, it, it, it feels like it, the previous movie exists, but that can't be because the helicopter is destroyed and Jaffo is dead, right? Uh, I have not seen the movie in so long that I can't remember how it went. So. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Daniel Stern's character dies, and at the end of the movie, the helicopter is destroyed. Right. And so all of a sudden, you watch the, the pilot of the show, and it's a lot of the elements from the movie being redone, like showing the helicopter again and all the action it can do, but it basically tells you that all their relationships exist and that there was a helicopter before. It's very confusing. Here it is. Murphy lands on a train track to destroy Blue Thunder. That's what I thought. It don't, doesn't show him dying, but he, he destroys it. No, Murphy is uh, Roy Scheider's character. He lives. Jaffa, oh, Daniel sorry. Stern's character dies. Right, right. My bad. And uh, the TV show, the problem with the TV show is beyond the helicopter being cool, there's not a lot going on with the characters. The first episode's pretty strong, but I have a huge problem with the additional characters of Bubba Smith and Dick Buckets. I... The most unfortunate name in all of acting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I have to agree with you on that one. Huh? Um, but there's no need for them to even be there. And it doesn't make any sense how two ex-football players who used to go up against each other are now police officers who are <laughs> roughly 50. <laughs> they just became police officers now. And they're very cheesy. So they had Dana Carvey. What, what other comedy relief did they need? Seriously. I know. And he, they had an actual comedian. Yeah, and he kind of <laughs> goes overboard a little bit with the voices. Like, hey, still in Jimmy Stewart in the beginning. Yeah. You can kind of yeah. see, though, the beginnings of all of his work on Saturday Night Live in that role. Kind of a plug for himself, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anyway. he was doing stand-up already at the time and doing those characters, or you know, it was just decided <laughs> on the set. Hey, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, you're better at it than I am. But yeah. <laughs> so the show didn't last very long. Uh, Columbia Pictures did put it out on DVD, but I believe it's out of print now. So if you feel like checking out an episode, it's on YouTube. <clears throat> uh, I didn't say that out loud. But no, I, mean, I still think you should be able to check out the first episode of any TV show for free without feeling guilty. And if you like it, go buy the series. Exactly. There's not a whole lot to talk about with Blue Thunder, is there? No. We mm. kind of said it all already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the show lasted 13 episodes for a reason. It's a, a decent watch. I remember buying it bootleg off of some site like 10 years ago just so I could see it. Uh, right. This is before YouTube, of course. And being like, oh, this is nothing like Airwolf. I say if you're a big fan of Dana Carvey and just want to see what he used to do, watch it for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. All right, so our third show is actually a personal favorite, which took us years to find. I'm going to get yeah. you. Because we got confused on what show it was based on the description. Mm -hmm. All right, so here is the opening to Auto Man. Doing what he likes best, fighting crime in the streets. You see, Walter's a policeman. Unfortunately, the chief doesn't want Walter on the streets. Captain, get back to your cage, boy. Now! So Walter must fight crime in his own way, in the computer room. That's where he's an expert. Fortunately for me, Walter's advanced knowledge of electronics led him to experiment with what is called a hologram. That's a very fancy word for a three-dimensional picture that, when perfected, can be made to look real, sound real. As a matter of fact, given enough power, it can even be made to feel real. That's kind of what got me into this world. 
name is Otto Ann. You must be Walter Nibigan. How did you know that? It's on the programming you fed into my system. I must say, Walter, you're very good. Very good indeed. I look wonderful. If you do say so yourself. You programmed me to be honest. But tell me, why did you call me Auto Man? It means that you're the world's first truly automatic man. You can do anything because you're not real. Oh, but I am. I'm as real as you are. Just different. And thanks to you, perfect. Nobody's perfect, Auto Man. Well, that's not true, Walter. You've programmed me to observe other people and do whatever they can do as well as they can do it. Jimmy Connors playing tennis, John Travolta dancing. In fact, on a scale of one to ten, think of me as an eleven. I created a monster. No, what Walter really created was a wonderful force for good. Follow man. Now that's a very unusual opening because for the most part, there's no music. It's the description of the show, which is a genius idea. Yes. You know, for someone to understand the concept and they boil it down into like a minute and a half. How awesome is that? <laughs> now they do play the theme song throughout the show and in the end credits, which I'll do at the end of the show here, which is still really great music. Um, so I remember you asking me about this show about, what, 15 years ago? And I thought it was a completely different show called Hard Time on Planet Earth. Right. I couldn't get anybody to remember the show for whatever reason. Yeah, I had never seen this show. And then one morning, I'm sitting there watching TV on sci-fi. They used to run these marathons of 80s TV shows or, you know, stuff like that. Like a six-episode run. And I'm sitting there watching it going, this sure sounds like that. Disc Holy crap, this is it, isn't it? So I started recording it. And you still have that tape to this day. I do. That's what you told me. You still have that VHS with the Autobahn episodes on it. I do, yes. Okay. Whether it works or not is beyond me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whether I have a VCR that works or not, that's... Anyway. Yeah, no. so I had not seen this show until much later, almost like 15 years or 20 years after it originally aired. And I would say this was a very short-lived show, but it is amazing. 13 episodes yes. of pure, great family enjoyment, but it does not play down. It's very smart, very sophisticated, but at the same time, it's not above the heads of anybody that's like under the age of ten. Yes. And what I loved about it, watching it, is like it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't play down. It, a lot of these shows with technical whatever's in the back, it, they make up terms. They just pull out some buzzwords here and there, and you know, no, no one's going to know any different. But it seems like they did a little bit more research in some of the things, even though it's wildly out there, but still. Yeah. I mean, it's a concept that's it. pretty far-fetched. But, yeah, it's like, in order to believe anything far-fetched, you have to have some sort of world you created so that you can understand what's going on. Yes. Now, of course, this is early in technology. A lot of people listening to the intro are like, yeah, of course I know what a hologram is, but 30 years ago, this was a new concept. All this computer stuff was just, like, fresh. I'm going to call home on my phone modem. I love that part. <laughs> what kills me is, back in the 70s and 80s, they didn't really have, like, proper computer boards and stuff like that so there's lots and lots of sets filled with blinking lights just random blinking lights board after board and no one ever knew what they did they just blinked it's recycled from old star trek episodes yeah well do you remember that joke in uh airplane 2 when william shatner is in his space station and he's like i'm <laughs> surrounded by blinking lights i don't know what they do yeah <laughs> um so the cool thing about 
Auto Man is the special effects even today worked. I mean, they just work amazing because they didn't focus on using uh, very early CGI like the way Tron did. They found a way of using reflective tape and animation to make everything work. And it worked great. Yeah, I mean, I just watched it recently. I was like, how did they make this? How do they make it look so good even to this day? I, I still don't understand. I read the explanation on how they do it. And I'm still like, nope, I got nothing. I don't understand. <laughs> I would love to be able to make a whole movie using these techniques. That would have been awesome. Yeah, and um, Desi Arnaz Jr., this is his only series, I believe. I don't think mm -hmm. he did anything else after this. Of course, he was in his mom's show as a kid, but he's really good in this. And so is, uh, what is his name, Chuck? Oh, darn, I should have looked. Wagner. Chuck Wagner. The thing that he does with his character is, I bet you 90% of the people who came in to read for Auto Man read him as strictly like a robot, like C-3PO. Mm -hmm. Then someone probably who didn't do that played it up too much, like made him too right. like ignorant or cheesy. Or Chuck Wagner, who was a Broadway actor at the time, who really did nothing in TV or movies, comes in and just makes him so innocent and so human, and that's why you love the character. Right. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame that he didn't really... Neither one of them really did anything after this, which is so strange. That's a... Yeah, I was been trying to look up things he's done, and it's, it's like he disappeared after this. Yeah, but he did. <laughs> I mean, for he, mainstream. Yeah, he did one cheesy like movie for Canon Pictures, like some post-apocalyptic movie, and that was about it. Um, but he did finance a documentary on Auto Man, which you can watch entirely on YouTube. The TV shows are not on DVD. No one's airing them, so they're up on VO.com, V-E-O-H, the complete series, and whoever transferred them over to VO... They look amazing. There's like yes. no damage. It doesn't look like it came off an old VHS. Whatever they're doing, they did right. And this is a show that should be on DVD for uh, people to enjoy. Just even from the simple fact of the special effects. Like, just so people see and go, how did they do that? Exactly. But it's, it's, it's fun a... family entertainment, like we're saying. It's entertaining for all ages without being insulting. Um, yeah, there's really, I don't know what else I can say about it. Though, the funny thing is, um, I was reading about the show. The special effects look so much like Tron, even though they're done completely different, that right. Glenn Larson, the creator of Knight Rider, Battlestar Galactica, and Buck Rogers, he got nervous that they would sue him, so he hired the special effects guys for the show. <laughs> and I guess it was part of their contract that they could never sue him based on the fact that they worked on this, because they'd basically be suing themselves. Right. That's a pretty, That's pretty smart thinking. <laughs> and, and the sad part is Glenn Larson, this is pretty much the end of his run. Um, after Knight Rider, he really didn't have another successful show. Auto Man bombed, Manimal bombed. Uh, Manimal. Do you remember Manimal? <laughs> Vaguely. <laughs> uh, Highway Man bombed. Do you remember that one? We should talk about that one where it's like every vehicle you could ever think of was in one show. Kind of like Auto <laughs> Man. kind of show. Funny? Okay, so originally we were going to talk about Auto Man because it had a helicopter in it. We're trying to do three helicopter shows. Now you, we both saw it in the intro, but they don't show in the first movie. But man, that plane that he has, or whatever you want to call it, some sort of jet. Yeah, that was awesome. I'm guessing they called it an auto jet because the other vehicles were the auto car. <laughs> right. But... Oh, it was. I get this. The auto chopper was also a Bell Jet Ranger, huh. which was what Airwolf was. Nice or similar. Similar, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, pretty much any vehicle you could think of, Auto Man could become. And he always had that little, uh, what's that little thing that he had, that asterisk flying around the sky with him? Cursor. Cursor, thank you. I think I think uh, asterisk is from Tron. 
That was Chris a, apparently was a little bit of a ladies' man. Yeah, he was awesome. I love that character, <laughs> even though he didn't really have uh, anything to say because he was like a computer bit or what you want to call it. But he has yep. so much energy and fun. I love watching that character. <laughs> it's just, I, seriously, I can't talk about the show enough. I love it so much. I'm so glad you told me about it and that we actually found the right show. Yes, yes. I am so, so grateful to you for finding it because <laughs> that was driving me nuts. Yeah, so, what. yeah, because I remember I taped Hard Time on Planet Earth, and I showed you, and you go, no, that's not oh. it. <laughs> it wasn't bad, but that was not it. <laughs> all right, so I think, like, all I, got, I think all he had to go on was, okay, there's this guy that has, like, he's computer-generated, and he could take 90-degree turns like it was nothing at high speeds, and that's all I gave him. No, and you also said <laughs> he had, like, a little thing, a little creature yeah. uh, flying around with him. And uh, Hard Time on Planet Earth, if anybody has never heard of it, it lasted about as long, and it was about uh, an alien who was a vicious warrior, and his superior decides that he needs to learn some kindness and humanity, so he basically sends him to prison, which is Earth, and he has to learn how to be a good person, and he's given like this little CGI, I mean, special effects CGI, it's not a real C, you know what I mean, uh, <laughs> this little robot talking thing that tells him how to function on Earth, like how everything works. It's a pretty cool show too, but nowhere nearly as good as Auto Man. Now that you describe it, I, yeah, I remember that more now. Yeah, it's from the creators of Predator, oddly enough. We're reading here. I was trying to figure out what the car was. And it, for those who are listening to this because they're into vehicles, which you should be, yeah. uh, the car was a Lamborghini Countach LP400 from the mid-70s. No kidding. Beautiful car. Anyway. Now, he had a motorcycle too, right? Uh, that I don't recall. Um, I feel like every vehicle shut up because in the pilot episode you see the jet, you see the car. Yes. I could swear you see like two other vehicles. It says uh, features a futuristic airplane and a motorcycle, and a guitar and handgun apparently. No. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know the coolest special effect that they always had was the fact that Auto Man is technically a um, a, a hologram, but he had like hard features, like he could be almost real, like he was mm -hmm. describing. But he could cover Desi Arnaz to protect him. Like someone starts opening fire on him, he could protect him like a suit of armor. And he could talk through him. So like Auto Man's mouth is moving, but then you'd hear Desi Arnaz's yeah. voice. Which was a little disconcerting. Yeah, it was. It's weird. Really cool. <laughs> and I'll tell you, Chuck, he played that up really well, I think. so. Yeah. But it's a fearless performance. It, has, it takes someone who really just absorbs that character, becomes that character no matter what, and... You know, it doesn't flinch because it won't look cool. Right. <laughs> well, I think it, uh, let's see. He's over, how do you want to say this? He's not playing a robot, but he's playing, he's got all those quick movements every now and again like one would. You know what I mean? Right. Okay, so you know what's Horrible funny? You've seen Starman, correct? Jeff Bridges? Yes. Yes. I feel like those performances are really in line with each other. Except uh, Jeff Bridges plays a little more alien. But you can kind of see similarities in their performance because they don't play it as if they're uh, robots or they're completely disconnected. There's a human quality, but at the same time, there's so much, like, he's one of us but not one of us kind of feel. Right. Who was the first, uh, Ted, Ted Knight? Is that who played uh, Starman in the uh, TV series, or was it? Oh, no, Ted Knight. Isn't Ted Knight the, the bartender on Love Boat? <laughs> Am I wrong? I think you're wrong. It's the guy who started an airplane, Robert Hayes. Robert Hayes. Wow, why the heck did I get Ted Knight? I don't know. Starman's a really great show, too. Man, there's so many great shows in the 80s that are just kind of like floating in the ether, and I just no one's really talking about it anymore. 
He's in the car. He's Starman. He's the comic book character. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking the DC Comics character. Sorry. Well, my head is all screwed up right now. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> my bad. But yeah, that's Hayes. He played a pretty good job. Uh, played it pretty well too, I think. Yeah, he did. Uh, anyway, sorry, Not I digress. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, is there anything else you want to say about Auto Man? <sighs> the powers that be put it on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's just how we end every episode. We'll find a show yes. to say that. The powers that be, release it on DVD. <laughs> yes. Make a like a high, make a hiney ho. <laughs> Rub the genie. Anyway, okay. <laughs> All right, so I guess we're signing off. Yep. Uh, so we're going to have... And we're saying goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, here's the final Wilson theme David. song to Auto Man. Yes. Wilson, David Hartman, tomorrow on Good Morning. <laughs> <laughs> it still has the credits. Oh, my God. Oh, scratch that. Hold on, people. There we go. So the 7880s always had those uh, synthesized things going on. I love it. I, I, I tell you what, I was, I was, I don't know. I guess I was born in the right era. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the movie is actually coming back again because yes, uh, I would say Drive. You know, the movie with Ryan Gosling is probably mm -hmm. responsible for bringing back like really hard driving synth music. So there's a lot of bands that are out there right now, kind of under the radar. They're not uh, they're not as popular as dubstep. But there's probably a dozen guys like uh, Power Glove, which did the great soundtrack to Far Cry 3 Blood, or Far Cry Blood Dragon, which is an amazing game. I don't know if you've ever played that. It's all an homage to 80s action movies. 
That is an awesome band name. Yeah, uh, and then this one, <laughs> Hot Nights, nineteen eighty four. They're a little more, um, I would say, more pop oriented. They're not as hard driving. It's probably more of a girl oriented band, but they're still really great. But yeah, that kind of sound, the Moog and electronica stuff is coming back. So yes, and, and the funny thing is, it seems like theme songs are not important anymore. That no. is so subtle. Like the one for Walking Dead is really good, but it's very, very subtle. I, I miss those like theme songs you, you you'd hum to your friends or whatever. You're like, yeah, I know what that's from. You know that kind of right. thing. You don't have that. It's a bummer. Well, the, wa- the Walking Dead is great unless you watch it though. You don't know it. Yeah, it's not one of those that pops out chips. Whether you watched it or not, you knew what it was. <laughs> this is true. Like, and, and here's the thing is, uh, I don't know if we discussed this in the last episode, but TV shows back then, you didn't need to watch every episode to know what was going on. It was a mm-hmm. hop, it was, it was convenient TV. And people think that, you know, it's necessary now to have like a serialized TV show to keep people coming back every single week. Well, what did they do back in the day? They didn't have serialized TV, but people keep coming back for seasons after seasons. So what is that? I don't get it. I think, and, and it doesn't sell in syndication because you put twenty four in syndication, and you miss one episode, you're like, I, uh, I don't know what's going on, what? or something goes wrong, and they can't air them in order. But chips, you could air an episode from season four or next to one from season one, barely tell the difference. Right. right. Except for the last season where they, <laughs> where Larry Wilcox was replaced by a guy so bland. Yeah. Oh, that was rough. <laughs> I watched the one. I watched the one with uh, Mickey Gillis. Uh, did, am I saying the right name? The country singer. Mickey Gillis, yeah. Yeah, and uh, a couple of guys, the um, the guy who's saying looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking uh, for love. Oh, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was that episode, and it was all about orangutan, and I was like, oh, I got to watch this. Anything with a monkey, I got to watch. That's right. And uh, I watched it going, oh, this is only made because of, you know, every which way you can, any which way but loose. Right. It was, it was pretty rough. And you watch, you know, Eric Estrada... He's very, very underrated. And it's kind of a bummer that beyond this show, you never really had anything. And if, if he was, he was he was very low budget. Yeah, let's say that. It wasn't mainstream stuff. Like, he was on Adult Swim, this uh, TV show C-Lab 2021. He's hilarious as Marco. And that was on for, like, five seasons. But, like you said, very low budget, small audience. He was on a lot of soap operas. I mean, he made, a lot of sci-fi. Yeah, he made type... Uh, uh, a TV show for Univision, I think it was, and it was very successful for that audience, but the general population of America does not know this. All right. And so that's, that, yeah. Go ahead. Too bad. Yeah, after, and that's too bad. Yeah, after he quit the show, he did a bunch of like really low-budget Italian movies. There's this one that I actually love. It's really, really trashy, but uh, it's called Light Blast, where he's a cop after these guys who made some sort of high-tech weapon that melts people. Just like, you know, at the end of Raiders of Lost Ark, when they, they open up the Ark of the Covenant, and they see, and they all, they all melt down. That's how people die. That's like, they just get hit by this rain, and they bleh, melt down to the goo. Awesome. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. It's so bad, though. It's amazing. But yeah, well, that's just, what makes it awesome. Yeah, uh, after this, um, both, it's weird, Larry Wilcox and Eric Estrada both appeared in TV sequels to Dirty Dozen. Just different sequels. I think there's three in total. Hmm. They must have had the same agent as the guys producing Dirty Dozen. Right. All right. So uh, with chips, I only watched this show sporadically. I think as a kid, I remember the toys like crazy. But did you watch this on a regular basis? I'm in the same boat with you. I mean, I love the show, but there were other things on. Yeah. Well, we were, <laughs> we were, well plus we were little when it was in its yeah. original airing. We were probably five or six. Right. I remember watching the Kiss episode, and Kiss terrified me. Not in, Kiss was on this. Kiss was in an episode. 
And then it's weird. As a few seasons later, they had another episode that was almost the same kind of style. Um, Danny Bonaducci was on it, and he was no, not nice. Danny Bonaducci. It was Danny Most from uh, Happy Days, and he was dressed as like uh, Alice Cooper slash Kiss kind of guy, and someone was trying to kill him and make him immortal. It's some crazy episode. <laughs> yeah, nice. I, but I remember the Kiss episode. I remember the the Roller Boogie episode, the Disco episode. They had. Chips was one of those shows that wasn't really set in its own universe. It kind of just followed whatever was popular at the time, which is probably why it's kind of derided now. Right. Because whatever was the trend, like the one we just talked about with the orangutan, that was only made probably because of that movie being popular. Right, right. So I think the show kind of struggles sometimes to have its own identity. The first two seasons, though, that I saw, uh, which I saw only about five or six years ago on DVD, it's very focused on what it wants to be, and I think later, as the ratings started to dip, is when they started like grasping for whatever was popular. Right. We gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> and the show was only on for six years. I thought it was on for way longer than that. I I don't know why I thought it was on for like ten years. How many episodes is that? 139. It's not the longest of all the shows we've discussed. Dukes of Hazard is still the longest. I think maybe it's because it was in syndication. When you're a kid, it's hard to tell what's new and what's old because the reruns were airing at the same time as the new episodes. Right. And I think that's usually where I caught was like reruns on TNT. I think we were watching it in college. Like they always aired it before, I want to say aired it before wrestling. You know how Dave used to watch wrestling all the time? We used, I, used yeah. to catch, I used to catch it before that. And I remember that it was so popular even in the 90s that they had a Chips reunion movie, but I was never able to see that. The 99 one? Yeah. I, I think, think I have seen it. I was looking that up the other day and saw one scene of it, and that was enough to remind me that I had seen it. But because yeah. I remember specifically looking at the blacks they were writing and thinking, "What?" <laughs> but, oh, obviously it's moved on, so right. you're gonna you're gonna upgrade. But, but those, those bikes were me. iconic, man. <laughs> I remember Hot Wheels. They had uh, they had all the shows, all the cool shows, the cool cars. They all had the shows. Or all had their vehicles as a Hot Wheel or a Matchbox. And right. I didn't buy the Chips one because it was smaller. For some reason in my mind, I felt like I was being ripped off. <laughs> right. Which is crazy. But yeah, th those are, are very iconic motorcycles. Definitely. Do you know what kind of motorcycles they had? I do. You do? I do. Go ahead. Uh, Kawasaki is what they used. They were KZs. Uh, first and second season were the KC900s. And then they moved on to the KC1000s. Uh, C1, I think it's called. And it's interesting because in if you look in the uh, opening credits or the opening trailer, whatever they want to call it, uh, they actually use the bikes from the original series. Hmm. And in order to make them look the same, because they would be obviously different, they, they changed like the windscreen and some other things, but they didn't change the the lights. So big, big oops there. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, they tested a bunch of other bikes, but they always seemed to stick with the... Uh, Foreign bikes. I wonder how I, you... well, no, I was going into it thinking, okay, they rode Harley Davidsons because that's what they always rode, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Never once huh. did they have one in there, so <laughs> that's awesome. You know, I wonder how many motorcycles they went through in all those years. I know they had some accidents. Uh, Eric Estrada shattered both wrists, broke some yeah. ribs. He got hurt like left and right. I was reading his book, and it's really good if you can find it. Uh, his autobiography uh, tells about how many accidents he had. For some reason. You know, uh, Larry Wilcox would have, like, scuffles here and there, but he would walk away just clean, like, just minor scratches, but he would just get the absolute snot beat out of him. 
Right. And they actually had to write that into the series because he got hurt so bad when he shattered his wrist. I don't even know how they... I don't remember that arc, but I don't know how they did the show. Did he just, like, I, stay in the office filling out paperwork, or...? <laughs> I don't know. I gotta pause. Okay. Yeah, so most shows like that, after a serious accident, would probably put the show on hiatus or <laughs> recast. Cause back One then, would think. Yeah, back then, they didn't really treat their actors very well. There's constant struggle between... Uh, Eric Estrada and Larry Wilcox, and then of course uh, struggles with the studio. I think they were paying us something tiny, like five thousand in an episode, you know, for leads in a successful show. And then they had to like work an angle in order to get more money, which caused huge issues between him and Larry Wilcox. Because um, not a lot of people know this, but Larry had a successful mini run on Mash, and the studio was very pleased with that. So they wanted to do more with him. So they signed him in a development deal, which led to Chips. And originally, Chips was supposed to be about him. And Eric Estrada did so well, you know, chemistry-wise, plus just he's a good on-screen, like, kind of uh, persona that they kind right. of beefed up his role. Like, he was supposed to be just, like, the sidekick, but then it became equal. But as the show went on, a lot of people found Larry to be kind of bland. Like, his Captain America do-gooder kind of thing was kind of eh, not as appealing as kind of the guy who was a little bit of a rascal, you know, a little more... Uh, uh, macho than he should be, a little more arrogant, you know, something appealing about his, and, and not in a bad way, it was just like, um, a lot of people were interested in that, plus he was one of the very few non-white main roles on TV, uh, so his popularity rose, and so he demanded more money, and he ended up getting more time, and in fact, I think he got paid like about 10000 more than Larry at one point, which can cause horrible issues. Right. It's you interesting, know. you mentioned, he was like, he was one of the, um, Latino on the show, right? Right. I was reading that they he spoke Spanish, and occasionally he was supposed to do it on the TV sh on the show itself, but he doesn't speak it well. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, like, really. Yeah, but anyway, I think when he did the show in Mexico, the soap opera, that he had to just like retrain himself to remember all right. those words because he had Americanized himself so much. Right. And, and you know, there was a the thing about his book is, you know, it's kind of a common struggle with Hollywood. You know, trying to make it you know, against huge competition. But it's another thing to be of a minority where there's not a lot of work. And that's still, to this day, there's not a lot of work for people who aren't white. Yeah. And, you know, watching back then, even though he was cast in two major movies, one with Pat Boone and then one of the New Centurions with George C. Scott, he still constantly struggled. He was living in a nothing apartment. He was paying like $100 a month for this, like basically a closet in L.A., which... Nowadays, $100 sounds pretty good, but 40 years ago, <laughs> that's pretty right. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's so a, like, and then, of course, Larry quit. Uh, I think he was sick of the show. I think the show started running its course. You know, the scripts weren't as good. They're running out of plots to go with. And the authenticity was, you know, pretty much gone by then. Right. Yeah. I was like, go ahead. you said 100 and how many episodes? 139. 139. What's average, usually? Well, normal, okay, back then... It's changed so much. In the 60s, you could do like a half-hour show, like Monkeys and Batman. You could churn out like 35, 40 episodes a season. They really pushed them hard. Uh, Hour-long dramas, probably about 26, 28 at most. And they were also longer. They were 48 to 50 minutes back then. Right. And now, I think, I think it's almost to the point where hour-long shows are 38 minutes long if you take out the credits. And, you know, there's maybe 20, 22 episodes. If the show's really hot, at best, 24. Yeah, so they had to work a lot harder to get these shows in the, in the can. Okay, I was wondering. Well, my wife and I were last night talking about Friends. It's one of the shows we like. Right. And we're looking at how many episodes they shot 
237, and that just blew my mind. Yeah. Just because every show I like, really like, usually I'm lucky if it lasts two seasons. <laughs> well, especially nowadays, the competition is so fierce. It, in a weird way, it seemed easier back in the day when you only had three networks. You know, before Fox premiere, then UPN, then C, uh, not CW, uh, the WB. You know, that kind yeah. of opened the floodgates for more material. You know, there was all that syndicated television. But back then, you just had those three channels, those three choices. But here's the thing, is uh, independent voices were basically snuffed. Anything that wasn't mainstream was pushed aside. You know, at best, it kind of had a niche falling, lasted maybe a couple years, and that was it. Now you got these, uh, you know, like, direct TV stations, you got Netflix, you got Hulu, creating their own material where it can have, like, it's lower budget, but it has a very particular voice that it connects to a, uh, a genre, a niche, you know, instead of going mainstream. Right. But, of course, they can't afford as many episodes, so it could be on for, what, uh, Sunny in Philadelphia has been on for, I think, 10 seasons now, and I'm not even certain they're at 100 episodes yet. Well, these days, it seems like, okay, well, you got your mid-season finales, and you've only shot five episodes. Yeah, like, that's are you me kidding nice. me? Just, oh. just wrap it up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, the creator of the show, Rick Rosner, he also created two other shows that are kind of in the same vein. Uh, Emergency, of course, is very popular. I think that was on just as long, which I've never seen that show. Have you? I remember, recall watching it now and again, but I don't I remember a thing about it. <laughs> and then 240 Robert, which was only on for two years, where he tried to co uh, combine the ideas of both Emergency and Chips. Uh, that was Mark Harmon's first TV show, I believe, and Matthew Perry's dad was a star. I never saw that, and it's really, really hard to find, but my parents remember that, and they loved that show. That one's not one I've not heard of. Yeah, it's basically like Joanna Cassidy is an airline, or not an airline pilot, a helicopter pilot. She goes through L.A., and she sees accidents, and then she'll call the office, and then Mark Harmon and Matthew Perry, they're like paramedics, and they'll rush out to the scene. Actually, I'm not sure they're paramedics or cops. But basically, they're called to respond to anything that she sees in her helicopter, and they, you know, it's, it seemed like a cool show. I, I just watched like the opening of one episode. Right. You say Matthew Perry? Yeah, his dad. John his dad. Perry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, John Perry. Matthew okay. Perry was two, and he's just behind the car. I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just curious. I thought maybe uh, he's not a junior. So anyway, go on. Moving on. Yeah. So this show is like quintessential California. Um, if you live in California and you see this, I, I don't know why. Something about it, just like that, is exactly what I had in mind of what California was. It's not so much like that now because everything's been taken over by strip malls. But, you know, when I lived in uh, Monterey, it looks a lot like that. You got the highways next to the beach, and I don't know. When I watch Chips, now that I live in Oregon, I watch Chips now, and I get really nostalgic for living there. But it's just so expensive. Yeah. Unless you want to live in the desert, which I don't think anybody wants to live in the desert. No. <laughs> Have you ever watched Tremors? No. no. Anyway. <laughs> uh, speaking of, the Tremors 5 coming. Seriously? Yeah, but they're bringing Michael Gross back, and uh, Jamie Kennedy's now the lead. I'm not sure how I feel oh. about that. Oh, boy. All right, so uh, besides the fact that, you know, he broke his wrist and he had to kind of sit out for a little bit, still part of the show, and then they replaced Larry Wilcox in the last season, there was a very small arc where Eric Estrada was fighting with the network over his contract. They were not paying him enough what he thought was he was worth, so he wasn't fired, but it was like kind of a hiatus. And they're replacing him with, I kid you not, Bruce Jenner. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> that, I, I'd never seen an episode, but thankfully he was only in it for like a handful of episodes. <laughs> I, I, I've seen him act before, and I'm just like, no, no. 
No. <laughs> I'm not so sure I even want to look that up. But yeah. <laughs> All right, so finally. <laughs> you know, the last time that went off, I thought you were playing guitar, and I was like, that's a random moment to start stringing away at your guitar. <laughs> so, uh, it's always a good time to play guitar. All right, so first and second season. They've been on DVD for a really long time, still available. Finally, after years and years of waiting, last week the third season finally came out on DVD. So I think this is perfect timing for us to do this. Right. Uh, hopefully, I wish they put some extra features on there. That's the thing with a lot of these TV shows now. They're not even doing interviews or a commentary or even like an intro. Like, hey, this is Eric Estrada. This is the episode where. No, they got nothing. I mean, I should be grateful it's out on DVD, but, man, I want bonus features. I watched a... Um... It was a reunion, first time in a long time type of reunion. I think it was a fan that did it, that put it all together, but it was kind of enlightening. Yeah. It's the only person I recognized, unfortunately, uh, even Baker's, who played Baker? Larry Wilcox. He, uh, I didn't recognize him at first, you know, they're getting up there in age, but yeah. once you look at him, you realize, okay, yes. But the only person I recognized was Michael Dorn, right? Totally didn't. Well, you know, I wouldn't have known who he was then. So yeah, I was gonna but, say it's kind of ironic considering his most famous <laughs> roles, heavy makeup. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. It's worth watching, though. I'll have to send you that link. But. Yeah, Larry Wilcox actually just got busted. I, you know, it's it's kind of ironic when someone who plays such a wholesome character gets busted for like insider trading. Are you serious? Yeah, he he just it was just last year he got he was guilty of it. Uh, pled guilty, apologized, said he shamed himself and everything that he stood for. It just uh, sucks. It basically, it was like not really an insider trading. It was like one of these things where it's like a bait and switch, uh, land owning kind of property. Like he uh, would sell property that had no value, no development whatsoever. There's nothing going to it, and then people would have to sell it off for like a tenth of what they paid for it, and then lose their butt over it. And then he would just resell it again. Oh, terrible! Well, everybody's human, and At least we're all prone to making mistakes once in a while. Yeah. yeah. All right, so Chips, uh, series lasted six uh, seasons. They've been talking about doing a movie with a new cast, or I think I'm not even sure it's really worthy of a movie. It seems more worthy of it, like another a series. It doesn't the seem there's no overlying arc, there's no overlying storyline. So it's kind of like it's not like the A team where they had this big thing, you know, that could be shown in a movie. Chips just seems like more of a, a weekly thing. Right. But right. A team is one. Well, not to get off on a tangent, but I'm looking at. You bring up A-Team, that's a movie I love, I really, honestly. I, I really loved it, and it didn't. Uh, the end is a little too much, special effects. Okay, so that was pretty much it on Chips. Our next uh, show we're going to discuss is Street Hawk. Here's the theme song.
right, so that was the intro to Street This is Jesse Mock, an ex-motorcycle oh, cop injured in the line of duty. Now a police troubleshooter. He's been recruited for a top-secret government mission to ride Street Hawk, an all-terrain attack motorcycle designed to fight urban crime, capable of incredible speeds up to 300 miles an hour and immense firepower. Only one man, federal agent Norman Tuttle, knows Jesse Mock's true identity. The man, the machine, Street Hawk. Alright, so that's the theme song. How awesome is that? That is a hard driving theme song. That's what I was talking about, like Power Glove does now and uh, Sarah Hot Nights. Not Sarah Hot Nights, uh, Hot Nights 1984. Yeah, it's like, I was going to say, this is what, uh, one of my favorite ones. Uh, they're by Tangerine Dream, and we're going back to our electronica coming back and what have you. Yeah. This is one of the bands that like started the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Tangerine like, Dream, yeah. They were the first ones to really step out of what they were doing on their own. Because they had a lot of they had a lot of albums before they started doing soundtracks, but they were um, very artsy and they had a very like uh, devoted but small following. But then they started doing stuff for, like Michael Mann. I don't know if you've ever seen Thief or Manhunter. Some of the other yes. stuff they do, they really like um, awesome theme songs. Yes. They uh, they did the theme song or theme music to Legend. You know the sword and sorcery movie. Uh huh. They weren't the original composers though. Someone else was hired to do it, and then they recut it and changed the music. I don't know how I feel with more electronic-oriented music or guitar-oriented music in uh, sword and sorcery movies. It's always kind of bugged me. I don't know if you've ever seen Call the Conqueror, but those guitar yeah. riffs, like uh, hair metal, that <laughs> blows. You know, the time and a place, but yeah. yeah. But of course, a, go ahead. One of the latest adventures out into uh, theme music was uh, for Grand Theft Auto Five, and these guys started back in 1967. Yeah, they've been around for a really long time. Now, they, they fell out of favor for a while there. They were doing soundtracks like two or three a year, or at least theme songs, and then uh, this kind of faded away. It's just, you know, it was a fad. Electronic music was not very popular unless it was like Prodigy, like really hard-driving techno. Right, right. But their appeal is back. I, I think it's pretty cool. And that's one of the best theme songs. One thing I noticed about it, though, not only does the show kind of copy Airwolf, but the intro to Street Hawk kind of copies it. You know, mm. electronica, and of course with the theme, like giving you a description of what the show is about. That's what Airwolf did. So it's kind of hard for it to shake that kind of mimicry. Right. You know, and of course, Airwolf is much more popular than Street Hawk, but for a show that lasted 13 episodes, it has a very strong cult following. I mean, almost everybody my age I know remembers this show. I was afraid. I hated to see That's another one of the... I think I might have something to do with it, because it seems like every show I liked... Growing up, like really got into like uh, Auto Man, what have it. They didn't last. Yeah, either they're too <laughs> expensive. The competition was too fierce. Here's the thing about Street Hawk is I didn't know this uh, until just recently. Uh, Street Hawk was supposed to get a season two, but they changed their mind when a summer series called Call to Glory with Craig T. Nelson did very well, and they pushed it to mid season. And by the time it aired, it, it's just uh, I think it lost its hold with the network and the audience. Old news. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, they just burned off the episodes, and you know, they sold the syndication, though, because I remember watching reruns. I did not watch it during its initial run. Like, a year or two later, they aired it after Voyagers. So, right. Voyagers and Street Hawk, to a kid that's, like, eight years old, is the most amazing two hours of your day. <laughs> Definitely. I think I'm in the same boat with you there. Wow. So the voice that narrated the opening is Ernie Anderson. A lot of people don't know who that is, but they know who his son is, Paul Thomas Anderson, who directed Boogie Nights, Magnolia, uh, There Will Be Blood. Okay. But 
he created the character Goulardi out of Cleveland. Now, we're from Indiana. Do you recognize that name? Goulardi? Yeah, he was like a horror host. Mm. No. Okay. He was uh, partners with uh, Tim Conway. They started in comedy together, and they went off in different directions. One started doing more voiceover work, while Tim Conway started doing more stage screen presence. Right. Yeah, you'll, you'll see pictures of Goulardi. Drew Carey wears a Goulardi shirt constantly throughout the Drew Carey show. <laughs> All right, so Rex Harris, or Rex Smith. Rex Harris, where did I get that from? Rex Smith, uh, the only thing I know him from besides this is Pirates of Penzance. I think he was more of a Broadway singer guy. No way. I, okay, I totally forgot about that. And he had a couple of hit singles, but I think I think it started to fade away, and he started focusing more on stage and you know, trying to get some roles on TV. This should have been a breakout role for him. It should have been really good. I just I don't know why it didn't take off because it was more than just like a generic procedural show. Right. And I wow. love the chemistry between him and Joe. I'm not gonna say the name right. Regalbudo. Oh, Reg. Yeah, Regal Boodoo? <laughs> Regal Bottom? No, Re Regal Buteau. Let's say it. We'll call it that. <laughs> All right. So is this, a, is this a real motorcycle, or is this completely like a modified patchwork? Well, it's, modi it's modified, but it is, well, it's just, you know, bodywork on top of an actual motorcycle. There's uh, actually three that they used. All of them Hondas. Where are we at here? 83 XL500, and 84 XR500, and an 84... CR250, all of them off-road bikes. I think one of them, but I don't really know my off-road bikes, but I think one of them is actually one that you can ride on and off-road. But, uh, oh, sorry, hit a button there. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, they're nothing special. Just They just put a bunch of really cool-looking black parts on it, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, all I needed to do. When you're, a kid, when you're a kid, you're watching this as all the gadgets. We love gadgets, even to this day. I think it's the James Bond mentality. And the fact that they packed so much. Like, I had seen Delta Force, and he had, like, little rocket launchers on his motorcycle. But this <laughs> yeah. is so far beyond it. There's a TV show that came out, like, four or five years after this from the same studio, uh, Universal, uh, called Super Force. It, he had a motorcycle with a bunch of gadgets in it, but it was more sci-fi than, like, a modified reality. And mm -hmm. that show stinks. I, we were, I, was, <laughs> I, was ta I was thinking about doing it for this episode, but... I'm watching the movie, and I think I'm an hour into the movie, and they still haven't introduced the armor and the motorcycle. Nothing. I'm just bored out of my mind. This motor, you say that this this particular episode, like the first episode, they didn't actually get on the bike until very close to the end of the show. All right, so, but all right, but it's a better, but it's a better written yes, show. it's much better written, and, and <laughs> leading up to it, it was actually very good, and I don't know it. Okay, I was going somewhere with that. <laughs> it's gone now. Yeah, so anyway. all 13 episodes are finally available on DVD uh, from Shout Factory. They've been doing a great job getting these like uh, series that have kind of been abandoned by the studios out on DVD to the fans. There's a huge documentary with it, so you can see like the whole backstory and stuff like that. And um, there's an unaired pilot where the Street Hawk was, compl was completely different, like different equipment and different style to it. So I'm interested in seeing what they had. Where's the on-air pilot? It's on the DVD set. Oh, definitely got Now, it's Shop Factory. They're not going to come cheap. It's not d dumped out there for 10 bucks, but they always do a great job making sure that the prints are excellent and the audio is great. Good. All right, so I think that's it for Street Hawk. Uh, we had one last show. We really didn't know much about this. I kind of heard legends about it, but it's called Then Came Bronson. Here is the opening theme. Someday. <laughs> 
taking a trip. Yeah. Where to? Well, I don't know. Wherever I end up, I will. Well, I wish I was you. Anything? Yeah. Well, hang in there. for the poor quality of that audio but here's the reason the show is not on dvd it's not really it's really really hard to find we found two uh episodes up on i think daily motion and they were kind of patchwork it's it's a shame that this is not available in any other format right now even with the theme music like the intro is very unusual it starts off with dialogue and slowly goes into music the show is different than the other two shows we discussed in the fact it was I think primarily aimed at audiences that were mature, not family, which is kind of unusual back in the day. Right. And it's a somber show. It's very pensive. It's a, a lot about emotions and uh, deep ideas, whereas the other ones are more action-oriented. One thing I noticed uh, in the dialogue, you were talking about the dialogue, that it seemed like they took everything in one cut, it almost felt like. Yeah. Like, even if you made a mistake, they left it in there. You know, it's just... You know what's funny is uh, the show... Yeah, you're, it's, it's like method acting. It's It seems more movie-ish than it uh -huh. does TV show. It's just they just put it in a compressed time. And it came right at the exact moment where I think the world was having so much... Uh, you know, usually during wartime or post-war time, there is a small chunk where people are lost. You know, uh, post-World War II, people started traveling... All over the uh, all over the United States, you know, on the road is a lot about that. Like people come back from war, and if they didn't have family and stuff to go to, they were kind of aimless. So they just decided to wander. Then came Bronson. It's kind of like the same idea, but it came right in the middle of Vietnam. It's not really about Vietnam, but you know, like the ideas they're presenting are saying it without saying it. Does that make sense? Right, right. You know, and let's uh, say. Go ahead. Go on. Um, you know, I had seen Michael Parks. The first thing I'd ever saw him in was Dust Till Dawn. He's only in it for five minutes in the very opening sequence, but there's something about his very small amount of time that just grabbed hold of me. And I had heard about this show because they joke about it on Mystery Science Theater all the time. Not joke about it because it's bad, but they'd always drop that line, where are you going? Nowhere in particular. You know, stuff like that. Uh, so I've been looking for this show forever and a day, and it's just it's sad that the only way to find it is like two bad VHS copies. Let's see. I was reading somewhere in here that said it was a bad knockoff of Easy Rider, but actually it came prior to it. Right. I mean, biker movies have been popular in the exploitation scene, like the drive-in scene, but I think this is the first one to take the motorcycle and make it not exploitation. Not make it about bikers, like tough bikers, just a guy on his right. motorcycle traveling the world, discovering what life is like. like. The one episode I watched, 
probably you watched as well. He, he there's no bad guys really involved in it. No. It's just him going out and he gets lost you know, right. in the in the park and. It's not really plot driven. It's character driven. Yeah, yeah. Which I can see is why the show bombed. <clears throat> if it's not at the right exact time, it doesn't grab people the right way. It won't take off because it wasn't an easy sell. I imagine trying to pitch that to a network. They're like, what's the show about? Eh, nothing really. Not really about anything. <laughs> it's, it's a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> well, it reminds me of the show that we or the yeah the one we discussed last week. Um, what's the trucker show again? With uh, mo- moving on. Moving on. It reminds me of that where it's just a slice of life. Where yes. You, it, it takes really good actors to make you want to stick around for an hour when there's nothing blowing up. There's no chase sequences. Right, right. Now, he had a Harley Davidson, correct? He did. It was a 69 XLH 900 uh, Sportster, Harley Davidson Sportster. Something that's been made continuously since 1957, as, as far as I know. I don't know my Harleys, but as far as I know, it has not ever been stopped being made. Yeah. That's great grammar there. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that thing took a beating, didn't it? Yeah, with that one episode, yeah, they beat the snot out of it. Just one episode. Imagine what it was like for an entire series. Rolling it down hills, and he gets out, he fixes it out in the middle of the. I mean, props to this guy for being able to fix the thing and then ride it out of that park. Cause yeah. I don't know if Mahana could handle that or not, but I don't plan on ever running it off, you know, down a cliffside to find out. So. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, the funny thing is, I think the show, they were saying that the show was inspired by a guest appearance that he had on Route 66. Which is a show, we, we've been discussing what shows to talk about, and I completely forgot about Route 66. And, you know, I can kind of see the similarities. Just a guy traveling the country, just meeting people. So, right. Oh, you know what? It says the pilot movie is available from Warner Archives, but not the whole series, which is a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah, so that- I would say the show is not an easy watch if you have a short attention span, but if you can focus on it, it's a really rewarding show, especially for its time. Is that how it starts? Uh, you say it was a movie, right? A pilot movie? Yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just started off as a series, but I guess, yeah. It was a pilot movie, and then it went to series. Is that the one where Martin Sheen is in it? Yeah, I didn't. I was looking that up. I, I was like, oh, I obviously did not watch this. No, exactly. <laughs> that might explain the whole plot, you know, why he's kind of lost. I had no idea. I just thought he was just kind of a rambling man, but the suicide of his friend, Martin Sheen, uh, who mm-hmm. sold him the motorcycle is what drives him to ditch his life and go on the road. Yep, yep. Well, well I guess that's it. Do you have anything left to say about any of these shows? Well, I'm reading here as far as uh, soundtracks go. They say that Parks actually sang the closing theme. Yeah, he actually has a few albums of his own. I think there's I still did available. not know that. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I think he has an official website where you can go and look and buy them. Says it was, see, the closing theme is called Long Lonesome Highway, and it was actually a Billboard uh, Top 100 hit. Number 20 in 1970, yeah. Huh. Anyway, that's all I have. All righty. Thank you, everybody. As they say in the automotive world, keep the shiny shine up. (laughs) I hope so. Good night.